The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to BGN Radio. Why would you listen to any other Eagles <laughs> podcast with John Stolness and Brandon Lee Gallup? Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to BGN Radio. This is episode number 59. I'm John Stolness from BleedingGreenNation.com. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. Lots to get to here on the podcast. The Eagles announced a restructured front office, and happily, it does not sound like they're going to be losing anybody uh, with Joe Douglas moving to the New York Jets. We're going to break down exactly who's going to be staying uh, with the Eagles. We're going to talk to BLG in just a second with his minicamp observations. Uh, Three days of, uh, well, actually more like two days and about 25 minutes worth of minicamp for the Eagles this week, but lots of stuff to talk about there. We'll talk about some of the folks who maybe didn't necessarily do a whole lot in practice uh, and talk about the injury situation. The Eagles have a new motto for the 2019 season, and also some big changes were made to the medical staff. Joining me as he does every week to break this all down is the brains behind BleedingGreenNation.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Brandon Gouton. Brandon Lee Gouton, BLG, how you doing, pal? John, glad to be here with you. Eagles minicamp is over. That means Eagles spring practices are over. There are 42 days as of we're recording this until the Eagles players report for training camp. Well, actually, no, first they report on the 24th of July, I believe, and then it's 42 days until their first practice, which will be Thursday, July 25th. So uh, we are in the dead zone, my friend. Not a lot of stuff going on in terms of at least good news, really, for the most part, going on (laughs) from now until then. So hopefully we hear really no news at all for the sake of the team. Uh, For the sake of us, of course, we'll take any news we can get here. But uh, yeah, so doing good. Yeah, I mean, and this is a chance for for the Eagles beat writers like yourself to get a little break and before you know things really start to ramp up again. So, but we will continue to be podcasting and uh, blogging on be- uh, bleedinggreennation.com. Make sure to check out all of our coverage there. Um, again, bleedinggreennation.com. We've got a ton of great content up there. Michael Kiss, Ben Solak, uh, yourself, myself, writing great stuff along with the rest of the crew. Bleedinggreennation.com, and we'll be keeping keeping you up to date on anything that happens to go down. Uh, with the Eagles here, even though we are entering kind of the dead period. Uh, Not a lot of news is expected, but uh, we will be on top of everything. The Eagles did make some news uh, here on Thursday, BLG, and the first thing we're going to start off with is the restructured front office. Obviously, you guys talked about on BGN 58 about Joe Douglas going to the New York Jets and what that means for him, what that means for the Eagles, what the ramifications to that could have been. 
And I think it's kind of surprising, BLG, that the Eagles don't seem to be losing anybody. None of the guys that uh, that we thought could be heading out the door with Joe Douglas apparently are going to be heading out the door. First of all, Howie Roseman has given himself a new title. We now officially have a general manager, mm. BLG. Andy Weidel has been promoted to take over Douglas's old role, VP of Player Personnel. Weidel worked alongside Douglas for a lot of years, has a heavy scouting background, is one of the most uh, well-respected names in the industry. And, of course, uh, Ian Cunningham has been promoted to assistant director of player personnel. There's a lot of guys that you all talked about on BGN 58 that we were worried would move someplace else. The Eagles have spent a lot of time over the last year trying to gather a big scouting staff, BLG, to prepare for a potential Joe Douglas departure and the potential of losing a lot of the guys that he picked out, like Andy Weidel. And and I think it's surprising that these guys are sticking around. What's your take on the restructured front office? Yeah, I think it's good news for the Eagles, ultimately. Uh, that was one of my concerns about losing Joe Douglas, not only losing him, but also who could potentially follow him out the door to the New York Jets. And now I think it should be known here that uh, the Eagles obviously had control over these guys, especially if their contracts weren't up. Uh, it's not like they can just leave and Joe do- Joe go ja- uh, go join Joe Douglas. That's a tongue twister, as you can tell, <laughs> in New York uh, on their own volition. You know, they, they the Eagles would have to give them permission again unless their contracts were up. So I think the Eagles really emphasized you know keeping these guys. I saw. Um, there's an account on there on Twitter who kind of talks about uh, front office moves, and they were talking about how the Eagles were playing hardball, basically, with Joe Douglas. And Howie Roseman even re- kind of referred to it, by, by the way, uh, after the Carson Wentz press conference earlier this week. He said that Joe Douglas is trying to, and he said this jokingly, but said like Joe Douglas is trying to put out propaganda uh, that the Eagles front office is like too top-heavy. There's almost like not a lot of room yeah. to move up. Uh, so that was kind of Joe Douglas trying to pitch those people to come join him uh, with the Jets. <laughs> and it's possible, by the way, that th- some of these guys do down the road when their contracts are up and there's potential to move up with the Jets as opposed to sticking with the Eagles. So that's always possible down the road. We saw that with Douglas in Philly. Like Joe Douglas was hired in 2016, but it wasn't until like 2017 uh, that he brought some of his former fellow Ravens front office guys with him to Philly. That's always possible down the line. But for right now, these moves make sense to me. Andy Weidel was Joe Douglas's right-hand man. So you're basically, you know, keeping a lot of the same uh, system in place that's already been successful. I like that. I don't always love internal promotions. I, uh, some people might think I'm hypocritical because you know, I've, I've t- clearly talked about that when it comes to Mike Grow. But what I think yeah. is different here is that this was a clear succession plan. Uh, when the Eagles hired Joe Douglas, I remember them also hiring Weidel. And Daniel Jeremiah at the time said that Douglas and Weidel are two of the NFL's top evaluators. So there was already high praise with him coming into Philly. I think it's good to keep that continuity in that regard. And a, a lot of their front office uh, seems to be the same. You know, that Ian Cunningham guy who we were kind of talking about on the previous BGN radio, he's basically promoted to Andy Weidel's old role. So he's moving up. Uh, you touched on Howie Roseman being executive vice president slash general manager instead of executive vice president of football operations, <laughs> which he used to be. Uh, he used to be GM back. So I guess the last time he was GM was uh, before Chip took over back in 2014. So that was the last time he actually had the GM tag, and now it's back. And I like that. It's just so much simpler to call him. And it's what he is. Yeah. He's the yeah. Fact he's GM. A king. yeah, yeah. So um, I like that that's back. A lot of these other ones, 
Uh, I think I, I highlight Brandon Brown here because he was promoted to director of pro scouting, and that's the guy who replaced Dwayne Joseph. And as I've said, like the Eagles have done a really good job, I feel like, with adding these veteran players. Like you look at Craven LeBlanc last year, bringing Jordan Matthews back, uh, picking up Trayvon Hester. Like that was the pro scouting department. They did a good job. Mm-hmm. So that's a key name to watch. Uh, Bryce Johnston. I don't know if you know this, John, um, but Bryce used to be the guy who ran EaglesCap.com. Like he was tracking, really, yeah, Eagles salary cap stuff before there was like over the cap or SpotRack.com. He, right, he was the OG guy tracking that stuff. So it's really <laughs> cool, like that he he's been with the Eagles for a couple years now. But it's cool, like that he's getting promoted up the up the chain. Uh, it's, it's just kind of cool. It's like someone from yeah. Eagles Twitter basically just <laughs> got hired and got promoted. So that's awesome for him. Yeah, I think those are the big ones for the most part here. Um, they didn't really add too many new people. They added Max Gruder, who used to work for the Dolphins. So yeah, most of this was just about internal promotions. That's good to know. And also, by the way, retaining Howie Roseman uh, mentioned. You know, they're retaining guys like. Jake Rosenberg, who is important when it comes to contract structure. Alec Halaby, who's one of their biggest analytic guys. And basically, what I'll kind of wrap up with here is that, so the Eagles have two main sectors in their front office. They have the football operations, which is kind of like more of the analytical side, where the quote-unquote nerds would be, as some people right, would say. Right, right. And I guess that's kind of like what Andrew Barry now is kind of heading, because he's the vice president of football operations. That's kind of like his department and i guess kind of halaby and those guys are i guess are under him and then you have the quote-unquote football guy side the scouting side the scouting department and that's what weidel is overseeing now so you have both of those sectors and they ultimately report to howie roseman and i, I think it's good you have the analytics and you have the more traditional side and that's what the eagles have been doing they've been trying to marry those two things you have a good balance there so from the outside looking in, this seems like a good structure, like a good, healthy, stable, no drama structure. I got to tell you, as someone who, who follows a lot of uh, baseball front offices that have been working on getting analytics and meshing them with, with scouting, it's the same, it's the same in, in baseball as well. Trying to find that balance is not easy. There's often times where the analytical side and the, you know, the, the old school side, the, the football guys, as you called them, but in baseball, the baseball guys, mm-hmm. the old timers, you know, they they're, they often are at loggerheads. You know, sometimes they're going to they're going to clash against each other because using analytics and using using numbers and using data, it's often seen as this is the way to do it. And, and some of the, you know, the old school guys see their way as the way to do it. And it sounds like the Eagles have really been able when Joe Douglas was here working with with Howie Roseman to to mesh these two things together and to complement each other and I think in baseball teams have gotten more used to doing that now and and more front offices have figured out how to do that but you have some front offices that skew one way or the other too much there's too much old school or there's too much new school the the sense I get from hearing people talk about the Eagles front office and I think this is something Dan Hatman, who was uh, with Michael Kist on the latest Fireside Chat on the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed, touched on this a little bit too. That both these both these sides are working together; they're working in conjunction with each other and not getting in each other's way. I, I gotta say that's impressive when you've got so many guys with lots of experience who are getting paid really good money when they could be hiring lesser guys who don't have as much experience to do these jobs. To to kind of work together and figure out a way to make these things work together is is kind of impressive. It's probably one of the most important parts too, just being able to like work together. I mean, everything's not going to be kumbaya. 
Uh, I'm not trying to paint the picture that that's the case. I am sure there are, you know, debates, uh, there's drama, but they don't exist to the level of total dysfunction, at least that we can see from the outside. Um, and certainly not to the extent it was when like Chip Kelly was there or you look at other organizations like the Texans who are suddenly firing their GM at this time of year or, you know, the Jets who kind of got wrapped up in the situation they did. So uh, from the outside looking in, it seems to be relatively healthy, uh, a good structure. And I think, you know, continuing to promote from within, you know, hopefully, you know, the goal is to build this rewarding culture that you'll be taken care of um, if you do your job and you do a good job. If you're really good and you want to move on, like Joe Douglas, you'll get an opportunity elsewhere. But in the meantime, you know, you can kind of work your way up through the ranks. And ultimately, that's really what Howie Roseman did with the Eagles. So he's kind of really the best example of that. And overall, I just think it's a good group. Uh, you have to feel good about how like we can kind of you can debate and you can kind of wonder exactly how much blame or credit or whatever, you know, how you want to parse it with Joe Douglas. But again, like the overall theme is that he was very well respected and the Eagles had success when he's been with the team. So, you know, why wouldn't you want to keep the same unit and the same like, you know, Joe Douglas brought his own way of grading players and his own methods to Philly from the Ravens. And then you have that same staff. So you already have that same kind of uh, methodology in place. And I just feel like, you know, why mess with a good thing? No, absolutely. And so it's it's great that, you know, and, and listening um, again, I'm going to go back to uh, the the fireside chat that Kiss did with Dan Hatman, who, by the way, is the if you haven't heard the interview that he did, uh, Hatman is the director of the Scouting Academy. It's a really it's a really good uh, uh, fireside chat to listen to if you want to kind of know how NFL front offices work. It is it is a challenge, and and the Eagles really did seem to be prepared for the departure of these guys, but now it just seems like they have an incredibly robust staff, and so. Obviously, games are won on the field, but there is a lot that goes into putting players in a position to be successful on the field, and that's where a lot of these guys come in. And so uh, losing losing Joe Douglas is tough, but it sure sounds like the Eagles have uh, figured out a way to insulate themselves as, as much as possible here uh, heading into 2019. All right, uh, moving on, uh, BLG, we're going to get into some minicamp observations, obviously, and we're going to be spending a, a big bulk of the podcast talking about what you saw while you were watching the team in minicamp uh, this week. These were This was mandatory minicamp. And before we get into actually what you saw on the field, let's talk about the Malcolm Jenkins situation because he was at minicamp this week. There was some speculation that he might decide to skip the mandatory minicamp because he's not happy with his contract situation with the Eagles. But at the end of the day, uh, Jenkins was there. He said he wanted to be there with his teammates. He understood the business side to football. Um, No deal has been reached yet, BLG, but it sounds like the team and Malcolm are playing ball with each other. Like I think there's some trust that's developed there between Jeff Lurie and Howie Roseman and Malcolm Jenkins, where it seems as though Jenkins is is satiated enough that he believes something is going to get done enough to the point where he was willing to come in uh, and participate in minicamp. How important was it for him to be there? I think it was great to see him there and all of that smoothed over because obviously you had talk that he wasn't going to show up. You know, you can question the validity of that. But from what Adam Schefter said on 97.5 The Fanatic this week, uh, he basically said that Howie Roseman was on the phone with Jenkins or Jenkins representation, whatever it was. He said that like Jenkins was planning to come anyway, but he said like the front office was kind of trying to be really persuasive with him. So, and he, and Schefter made it sound like whatever the Eagles said really did 
help further convince Malcolm Jenkins to not skip mandatory minicamp. Going off of that, you would think that um, even though that a deal obviously hasn't been officially put in place yet, that there's some progress on that front, or at least, you know, the possibility is there of something. Um, it doesn't seem like, you know, the Eagles would be like, actually, Malcolm, we're not going to pay you. <laughs> and everything is fine. <laughs> right. And even, you know, going further from what Schefter said, he seemed pretty optimistic that they're going to be able to work something out in some form. And even Malcolm Jenkins talking this week. And by the way, I got to rip some fans here for a second. Sorry, fans, oh to come at you. But, like, I just get tired when there's, there are reports out there about a player like Malcolm Jenkins. You see it from multiple reputable people. Like, you had it from Jeff McLean. You had it from Adam Schefter. And, obviously, Malcolm, uh, Howard Eskin ended up being wrong. But, like, Howard Eskin doesn't just make stuff up. Like, he literally is around the team more than anyone. He's a team employee. Yeah. He, he does. Yeah. Their, their, he has a Super Bowl rate from the team. Anyway, <laughs> wow. the point is, like, these guys aren't just, like, getting together and making stuff up. And I just feel like that's the impression I get from people sometimes. Like, they feel like, all oh, the media is trying to make drama. It's, no, it's not the case. Like, the case is that Malcolm Jenkins was clearly missing OTAs for the first time in his career, not just because he wanted to, like, skip them for some random reason. It was for the reported reason that he wanted a contract. And he literally said it on the first day that he got here. He said, quote, unquote, I feel like I've outplayed my contract. So maybe, you know, when that happens in the future, let's just keep that in mind and not assume everyone's just making stuff up just because we don't want to hear it and we don't want to think that's true. That's all I had to say about that part. For Malcolm Jenkins to say that, and he also said, by the way, that talks are, quote, unquote, ongoing. So it sounds like they are having dialogue about some kind of contract adjustment. And there should be. As we've talked about before, uh, Malcolm Jenkins deserves more money. He is the exception to me when it comes to kind of setting a precedent for this kind of stuff. I think the precedent is more dangerous uh, if you set a precedent that you're not going to reward a player of this caliber, uh, not only as a talent, but as a leader and all the value he brings to the team. So I feel like they're going to work something out before training camp begins, I would guess could be before this podcast is even posted. So we'll see. But <laughs> I, I feel like they're, they're going to find a way to work something out. Is he the most important player on the defense? Like, is he the most, is, if, is he the guy they can least afford to lose? I think so. It's hard to tell in a way because like he's never been you know missing. So we wouldn't yeah. even know fully how bad they would miss him until he's gone. And hopefully we don't get to that point, obviously. But yeah, I think he is just because the versatility, the leadership you saw he literally turned the season around last year. Like I talk about that all the time. His interception oh, yeah. in that Giants game turned the season around. And not only that play, but the way like he went up to Jim Schwartz and was like, we need to simplify the defense. And Jim Schwartz right. respected him enough to like listen, by the way. You can't just have, you know, like Zach Brown, just for example, like go up <laughs> and be like, we need to change the defense. Jim Schwartz like, are you, are you serious? Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> are you talking yeah. to me right now? So, yeah, I think I think he has to be. Well, I agree with that. And and obviously Fletcher Cox, I think, is probably the most talented member of the defense. Mm -hmm. But just just because he does he's the he's the quarterback of the secondary. And when you've when you've got a lot of different guys who are probably going to be moving around in the secondary, we're going to talk about the secondary coming up in a little bit, all the cornerbacks that the, that the Eagles have. But, you know, this the safety position for all the things that he does, he's. He's another defensive coordinator on the field, and that's that's an unbelievably valuable thing to have. So yeah, I agree with you. I think he I think he is the best player on the defense, the MVP of the defense, and uh, 
Uh, they need to they need to they need to make him happy. They need to give him and they have plenty of cap room to do it. Yep. I mean, it's they've they've got all the I mean, I know you want to roll as much of that into next year as you can, but they have lots of room to get give Malcolm Jenkins a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a drink from the hose there. So, we're going to get into some uh, Carson Wentz stuff and uh, some other folks that uh, impressed Doug Peterson and impressed BLG uh, from minicamp. We'll, we'll tackle some of that stuff up next right here on BGN Radio. And we're back on BGN Radio. We're talking about Eagles minicamp. BLG was uh, down there this week and uh, took some notes. Uh, you can read everything that uh, BLG reported on BleedingGreenNation.com, so uh, make sure to check out his notes from the first few days of minicamp this week. We would be remiss if we didn't start off with Carson Wentz. And as I was following you and the rest of the Eagles beat writers on Twitter this week at during minicamp, during these practices, I just kept seeing one glowing tweet after another about how good Carson Wentz looked, how throwing balls in tight spaces, he looked like a maniac in the red zone, seemed like he was uh, developing an unbelievable chemistry and connection with Deshaun Jackson, which is amazing to see. As you watched the franchise quarterback, the newly minted uh, franchise quarterback with a long-term deal here, BLG, what did you see this week from Carson? A lot of good things, John. Uh, A lot of reason to be excited. I like that answer. Yeah, that's a good answer. Absolutely. It's true, though. And obviously... And, you know, you get these people who are the Wentz skeptics or, or like BLG is just saying positive stuff about Wentz because what else is he going to say? I mean, that's not true, man. Like, I'm telling you what I'm seeing. And Carson Wentz looks really good. And by the way, if you read those notes, I also point out the bad. Like, Carson Wentz had a couple interceptions on Wednesday that weren't awesome. He threw across his body in the coverage. <laughs> and maybe that was yeah. kind of like – and by the way, I don't think he makes that throw in a game. Because it's like, you know, it's a, it's a practice. So, who cares? Like, it's not, what's the worst that can happen? Like, it's, it's not a game. But, yeah, you don't want to see that in a game for sure. And the other one was actually, uh, as for as much as it is his fault, it was really good leaping pick by Avante Maddox as well. You know, he overthrew a guy on a deep target. So, you know, there's still some issues there overall. But I just like what I've seen out of him in terms of the positives. And more than more, more importantly than even him playing well, he's healthy, which is the most important thing. Like he looks healthy. That's huge because you just compare that to this time last year, and he wasn't even fully participating. To see him out there and see him look great is very encouraging. I mean, just the arm strength is there. Doug Peterson has highlighted that a lot, by the way. Like when, whenever you ask Doug how Carson has looked in the spring, he specifically points out that Carson has looked like strong. And you can see that. And I think he's he's talking about arm strength in there. Uh, just the way he fits some balls in the tight windows is, like, really impressive. You just – I feel like a lot of quarterbacks who don't have that zip are just going to, like, get picked off easily. You could just see where, like, if in a quarterback in a different – if a quarterback with a lesser arm is going to throw some of those where they're, where they're picks. And with Carson, he can, like, just fit a ball into a super tight window. So, basically, what I'm trying to say is that he can just make throws that other quarterbacks just, like, can't make. That's part of what makes Carson Wentz special. Um, also, seeing him connect with Deshaun Jackson for the first time on, like, a 50-yard deep bomb for a touchdown – I mean, that was... That sounds nice. That's very (laughs) exciting. And it's that play, John, that had me thinking. Obviously, Deshaun Jackson is the best deep threat that Carson Wentz has ever played with. That's not even a question. It's not even up for debate. But Carson Wentz, the best quarterback that Deshaun Jackson has ever played with. I think, you know, Donovan McNabb had a good connection with Deshaun Jackson in his first few years in the league. And Deshaun went and played in Washington for a number of years, and there wasn't anybody with the Redskins whether <laughs> that, that could measure up with Carson Wentz for sure. 
Jameis Winston and um, and Fitzpatrick, of course, Fitzmagic couldn't match up with Carson Wentz. But I think there's one guy that could rival and I think may have he had the best quarterback season of any Eagles player I ever saw. And that was Mike Vick in 2010. When, when Mike Vick was at the height of his powers, I don't think there was a more talented quarterback who's ever worn an Eagles uniform for that one stretch of games. For that one, for that yeah. one season, when that, that 2010 season where he started 12 games, I, I've never seen anything like that. I mean, he could throw throw with a deep ball longer and farther with more accuracy than anyone I've ever seen. Unbelievable arm strength to hit the sidelines and could br- have game breaking runs at the drop of a hat. I've never, I mean, I, to this day, I look back at Mike Vick highlights from from 2010, and I'm still in awe of what he did that season. And so. I think if we're talking about pure talent, I think Mike Vick 2010 is probably the best that Deshaun Jackson has ever played with. Now, let's see how a fully healthy 2019 Carson Wentz in his, what will it be, his fourth fourth full season in the NFL. Let's see how talented that is, because I think you could see Carson Wentz overtake Mike Vick. But for my money, I I have to say right now that Mike Vick 2010 was as talented a quarterback as I've ever seen in my life. And that's fair. And I definitely, when I said that, by the way, when I tweeted that, it was definitely not like to shade Michael Vick at all. Like, I have Oh, sure. No, no. Um, and I would take Carson Wentz over Mike Vick as far as sure. you know my quarterback any day of the week, even when Vick was at his power, for sure. Right. Even that, it's a conversation still like bodes well <laughs> for the Eagles. Yeah. Because even, yeah. even if Carson Wentz isn't the best, I mean, I think he's at least second best. I really do. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. and I think it's it's not just the deep ball, too, because people get on that. They're like, well, Vick or McNabb or whatever had a better deep ball. I think Carson's being underrated in that regard. I think... You're going to see that too with Deshaun. Like, in, like in fairness to Carson Wentz, when you're criticizing his deep ball again, his who are who have his best deep threats been? It's been Torrey Smith, and he didn't even really get to play with Mike Wallace. Like, it hasn't been great deep options. Like Deshaun, he didn't have anybody in his rookie year. Who was in his rookie year? I, I mean, can't. Uh, have... Bryce Treggs. Like, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> they were trying to find guys. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's going to be a big difference. I think all of a sudden Carson Wentz's deep ball is going to look a lot better. And again, it's not like the lack of arm strength is a problem. <laughs> like touch in, in precision accuracy might be something, if anything, of an issue. But man, uh, I think it's going to be hard to overthrow Deshaun. And I think we're going to see that a lot that this year. And that's going to make a huge difference for this team. So that's that's really one of the biggest takeaways of the spring is, and it's not again, it's not even just Deshaun as a deep threat. Like like that's what we always think of, and rightfully so because he is that weapon. But he does so much more. Like he's so much more of an offensive player than just a simple deep guy. It's not like he's a one trick pony. Like he can help this offense in other ways too. Uh, and that's something we've seen this spring. Like Deshaun and Carson have connected a ton and it hasn't just been on the deep route. So I think those two having a good chemistry immediately is very encouraging. Uh, not only just, you know, for them individually, but the offense as a whole. And really it's something to get excited about. You know, it'd be interesting to see at the, an interesting formation could be this year when you have, um, uh, and then Michael Kist wrote about this uh, for bleedinggreennation.com, putting Deshaun Jackson in the slot to work against, you know, slot corners and, and safeties and whatnot. And he didn't do that much in Tampa Bay, but, you know, being able to put Alshon and maybe uh, J.J. Arcega Whiteside as your as tall receivers on the on the outside and, and have Deshaun Jackson uh, running routes in the slot, that, that would, that sounds like fun. 
You know what I mean? Like that just sounds like a good time. And uh, that I would love to see the Eagles implement a little bit of that this year. Yeah. I mean, again, they've been using him all over in the spring. Um, and there's really no reason why he can't have a big impact on this team. And it's kind of funny to think because, again, he's turning 33 this year. But like it doesn't feel that way. And it doesn't look that way when just been watching him all spring along. Like he just he looks like he's going to be super effective for this team. And really, you know, as this offense is taking shape, there's just so many options. Like you have Alshon Jeffrey. You have Deshaun Jackson. Zach Ertz is still here. He's awesome. Dallas Goddard looks like he's ready to take another step forward. And that's huge. Yeah. Uh, he's going to be a huge yeah. weapon for this team. And he needs to be on the field because he is a weapon. Your running game, even if it's not going to be like elite, you know, even if it's uh, not one of the best in the league, it's still going to be better than last year. How could it not when Josh Adams is your leading rusher? And Josh Adams isn't going to even make the team probably this year. Right. There's just so much more reason to get excited about this offense. And therefore, as the team, about the team, I should say, in general, because last year, you know, we talked about it all season, John. The offense was just not right. They were struggling. Like, everything looks so hard. I feel like it should not be that way this year. Like, the offense should be a lot better. And therefore, the team as a whole should be a lot better. Because you look at what wins in today's NFL, and it's not defense wins championships. It's really not anymore. The top four offenses in the league last year were the top four remaining teams in the championship round. You know, it was the Patriots. It was the Chiefs. It was the Rams and it was the Saints. You have to have an elite offense in today's NFL. No, necessarily have to have. But when you have an elite offense in today's NFL, you're in really good shape. And I think the Eagles have the potential to be in that spot. I I think this offense is absolutely maybe the most talented offense. This could be the most talented offense we've ever seen uh, uh, an Eagles team have. I mean... I will think I will. I'm going to try and think about it over the next few days and maybe for the next BGN radio, we could talk about, you know, is this the most talented Eagles offense ever? Because obviously they have to do it on the field. But one one thought just occurred to me. Is it possible to have too many weapons like to to not? Because, I mean, I say that and it sounds stupid to say something like that. But we saw Mike Groh last year struggle to work Golden Tate into the offense and I think they they figured some things out towards the end of the season a little bit, but you have in, uh, four wide receivers that could potentially do some damage. I mean, everything you hear from JJ Arcega Whiteside in in minicamp is that he looks like he's going to be a really impactful player, especially in the red zone um, with Alshon Jeffrey, and you've got Nelson Aguilar, and you've got you, you've got Deshaun Jackson, then you've got two tight ends in Goddard and, and Zacherts, both of whom have unbelievable talent uh, and a backfield that could you know should be much better this year. I mean, I just I'm I'm wondering how they're going to utilize all these different things, all these different players in different packages and 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 whatnot. It, will it prevent players from from kind of getting into a groove or anything? Any worries about like anything like that, BLG? Sure, hope not. I would think back to the 2017 season when they spread out the ball pretty well uh, in all facets, in terms of carries, in terms of receiving yards. Like you know, it's not like the Eagles have had this dominant thousand yard receiver like who needs all these volume right. touches. Um, so they've been able to make it work before. Uh, obviously, you know, the coaching staff's a little different in that Frank Reich and John Filippo aren't here anymore. And that's significant. But, you know, I think it's a much better problem to have than <laughs> to, to not have uh, enough guys to spread it around to. And that was clearly an issue sure. last year, especially early in the mm-hmm. season when Alshon wasn't even there. Uh, and you, then you had Mike Wallace get hurt. So 
no, I'm not worried about that so much. Yeah, it's not. I'm not actively concerned about it. You obviously want to have more talent, and who knows who's getting hurt and all that stuff. So you want to give Carson as much talent as possible. Just, just a, a fleeting thought that popped into my mind. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some stuff Doug Peterson said after the final practice on Thursday, and he singled out a few guys specifically as having good camps. You mentioned uh, Dallas Goddard just a minute ago. Again, I, I'm. I'll be very curious to see how much he's able to get on the field. Uh, with uh, the wide receiving talent that the Eagles have. Uh, but uh, um, I know that uh, 12 personnel worked out really well for the Eagles last year. So everybody's really high on Dallas Goddard. Uh, he also singled out cornerback uh, Avante Maddox and defensive end Josh Sweat. Which of these guys do you think the Eagles need to take a big step forward the most this year? Yeah, it's probably not a coincidence that he singled out uh, <laughs> their top three draft picks from last year. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's, that's kind of a natural thing to do just because those guys are usually the guys who are going to make the biggest leap, you know, from first year to second year. Also, I don't think it's totally unwarranted, though. It's not like those guys have been doing, doing nothing and Doug is highlighting them. Like, those guys have looked good. More so Goddard and Maddox, to my eye. You know, I feel like it's hard to judge defensive end play, you know, in non-contact drills. Also, when yeah. you can't really, like, truly rush the passer in the sense that like you can't finish the play and get to the quarterback like it's it's hard because you can get near a quarterback and that's fine but how many times are you going to get near a quarterback on Sunday especially like a big strong guy like Carson Wentz or Cam Newton and like you actually get on him but then you fail to bring him down uh so like you know it's 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 hard to fully tell uh in practice I mean I guess Josh Sweat he's had some moments that have stood out to other people. So, you know, I'm not, I don't want to say he's looked terrible or anything, but I just, I I don't know how much I can make out of it personally, but if he did look great, and if he does, you know, take this step forward, that would be great. Cause we know the Eagles are kind of looking for that fourth defensive end. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I don't think it, he necessarily needs to make the biggest jump just because I don't think fourth defensive end is absolutely vital. Um, I think it's Maddox. I think Maddox has to be that guy because you know, we don't know still what's going on with this Eagles secondary. Like, we don't know who's necessarily starting week one. But to me, one of the things you do know, if you're Jim Schwartz, is that Avante Maddox is too good to not have on the field in some capacity. Like, if he's not on the field for, like, a bulk of the reps, like, if his playing time is limited then the Eagles are trying to lose games, in my opinion. <laughs> They're actively yeah. trying to lose. Like yeah. He needs to be out there. He is a baller. He makes plays. I know he had the struggles in the playoffs, but man, like I don't care. This guy makes plays on the ball. I've seen it in practice. I've seen it in the games now. Like That's what you want. And you look at his profile. You know He's super athletic. He doesn't have the height, and you can see at times where that can hurt him and limit him. It's definitely something working against his favor. But like, that just doesn't matter to me, ultimately. Like The good outweighs the bad with Avante Maddox, and I think the Eagles need him to step up in a big way. And I feel good about that, about that, and I think he will. And again, if he's not on the field, then the Eagles are doing a disservice to themselves. Right. Well, I mean, that's everything you're hearing out of camp is that he absolutely looks like the best cornerback on the field. But as you mentioned, you know, Ronald Darby hasn't been playing with the with the rest of the guys in the secondary and they brought him back for, you know, a reason. But I think you're right. Avante Maddox was a real breakout player last year. And uh, just to show you sometimes, you know, those those mid round picks, you know, you hit you hit on them. That's like that's finding gold. You can't just rely on your first and second round picks to be productive for you. And so 
For me, I think, you know, because there are some question marks along the defensive line, BLG, I think Josh Sweat is a very close second there because if they can get another one of these young guys, I mean, they need Derek Barnett to step up this year and be the player that he looked like he was about to be last year before he got hurt. If Josh Sweat comes back and can, can contribute in a meaningful way at DE4, like we talked about, these guys rotate defensive ends quite a bit. You're not going to have to move as many defensive ends interior this year because you have Malik Jackson there and you have Jernigan and you have Fletcher Cox. So they should get more interior push without having to move defensive ends inside. But having Josh Sweat step up this year would be tremendous and uh, take a lot of the pressure off of... Uh, off of Howie Roseman, as everybody says, that's really just the one spot that people seem to be a little bit still uncomfortable with is the the depth along the defensive line on, as far as edge rushers are concerned. About the secondary as a whole, who are the starters? You know, how how is... Again, I guess you raised it. We don't really know yet because of the injury status to, to Mills and, and Darby. And, you know, I, I know Rodney McLeod said he expects to be ready to go when training camp gets underway, but... No one is exactly sure exactly how quickly he's going to get back. How does the secondary shake out, at least right now? Again, admittedly, as we sit in mid-June. Yeah, so I think Malcolm Jenkins and Rodney McLeod will be your week one starters at safety. Um, if for some reason McLeod isn't quite ready by then, which it seems like he's going to be ready pretty you know, at, pretty soon at some point in the start of the season. Like, I don't see him going on the uh, the PUP list uh, and like missing six weeks or seven weeks there. I think those are your top two guys. And for, again, for some reason, if McLeod isn't ready, it'd probably be Andrew Sandejo starting until he is. Uh, at cornerback, <laughs> that's the tough one. That's the one that's much more uncertain. Darby seems to think he has a real chance to play and or, or be ready for week one. He did do some individual drill stuff, and he has been warming up with the team, which is a, a good sign because you don't see other injured guys like Fletcher Cox or Brandon Brooks, for example, doing that quite yet. Um, so he does seem to be making good progress in that regard. Jalen Mills was barely seen at minicamp and OTAs. I, I think I saw him on the sideline like one day. So like he's not even out doing rehab stuff on the field. I don't know when we're going to see him. It's hard for me to say he's going to be a week one starter when he's been like missing in action for a while now. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what the deal is with him. I'm, I'm not going to put him in the starting lineup right now for sure. Uh, I think Rizul Douglas overall has had a good spring. Uh, you kind of know what you're going to get out of him in the sense like he's going to be pretty good sometimes. And he's also going to struggle at other times. But you hope the... The play, the stretches of good and the turnovers that he probably will generate at some point, you know, outweigh the mistakes that he's also going to make. Um, so I think it could be him and I think it should be Maddox. From what I've seen, you know, those are the two guys the Eagles kind of want to go with uh, when they're rolling out two cornerbacks on the field. I've seen them utilize their big nickel package this spring where Sidney Jones comes off the field in those situations. I don't think it's going to be Sidney starting. And mm -hmm. on the Sidney Jones note, you know, I'm going to do my stock up, stock down post for BleedingGreenNation.com soon. It's not that Sidney Jones had a bad spring. I think he had some good moments. But, like, he just doesn't stand out in the way that, yeah. like, Avante Maddox does. And they're different players, different styles, whatever. So, I'm not saying, like, I'm not necessarily holding him to the same standard. But, like, give me something, you know? Like, give me some reason to be really excited. And I just don't see it so much with him. And I've kind of been... Like, feeling that since last year. Like, I just don't – there's nothing, like, exceptional to me about Sidney Jones when I watch him play. And maybe I'm missing it, but I don't know. I don't think I am. I, I think, you know, if if he was balling out like Avante Maddox was, I would notice that. 
And I would hope yeah. that he would And the would coaching be. staff would say something too. Yeah. You know? I mean, they're not shy to, to hand out the praise. They would. So I'm I'm just not seeing. Like, I want to be blown away by him. And I'm just not. I never am. And I am by Maddox. And Razul Douglas doesn't necessarily blow me away. But like he has some plays where – and I wasn't even always the biggest Razul guy because of his lack of speed. But like over time, I've grown to like appreciate him more and, and see the positive and feel better about him. And I've just really never been that way with Sydney. And in fact, earlier this week in practice, uh, I think it was on Tuesday, there was a route where Alshon Jeffrey was running down the field and he just threw Sydney Jones to the ground. And now mm-hmm. that's offensive pass interference. Uh, so that's a penalty, obviously, on Alshon. Still, like you're getting manhandled out there on a practice field. Like that's yeah. not a good look, even if it's a penalty on Alshon. Like because that's not you know the refs could miss that at some point. And it's it's the principle too. Like that. What if that's a play where uh, it's not pass interference and it's like a run play? Alshon's run blocking you, and he's just tossing you aside like you're a rag doll. Like that's not a good look for Sidney Jones. So I want to see more out of Sidney. Maybe he shows it in training camp. To be fair to him, uh, you know you can only make so much of these spring practices. But to me, if I'm making the depth chart, I'm putting Avante Maddox and I'm putting Razul Douglas ahead of Sidney Jones. I, I think you're right, man. I don't I don't see how, despite spending a second round pick on him, I just I don't see how you can put him behind those two other guys. Um, before we hit break, uh, BLG, any other players that stood out to you this week in minicamp that we haven't talked about? There's some bottom of the roster guys. <laughs> that, yeah, let's hit those guys though. Yeah, um, Mark and Michelle, Sony Michelle's brother, you know, Patriots running back, mm-hmm. has kind of quietly kind of snuck on here uh, as a guy who's been standing out. He had a couple deep catches. Uh, from Carson Wentz that looked good. He averaged about 17 yards per reception in the CFL, so he has that kind of you know deep speed. Uh, he also has been getting some punt return, some some returner looks, which is an unsettled spot for this team. And I actually asked him in the locker room the other day, you know, is that something he has experience doing, and uh, is that something he is doing with the Eagles? And he said yes, and it's funny because he also talked about how uh, he never did it in college, really. And then he got to the Vikings, where his first NFL shot was uh, a couple years ago, and they listed him as a punt returner before he even knew that. And he was like, oh, uh, <laughs> I guess I'm returning punts now. And he's like, I don't know how I feel about <laughs> this. But uh seems like a, an interesting guy, seems to have a good attitude, good mindset, uh, and it seems like the Eagles you know, have been throwing to him a good amount in spring practices, so... I think he's one of these classic guys who could look pretty, you know, solid, good in the spring. It's not like he's absolutely killing it out there. You know, he's, he's looking good relative to expectation, which is, you know, there's no expectation. A lot of people didn't even know and still don't know who Mark and Michelle is. But he's kind of in the Bosby category where, okay, he had this good spring. Now, can he build on it? Can he look good in the preseason games? Um, can he kind of be this year's DeAndre Carter in a way and, you know, kind of make the roster as a, a fifth or sixth receiver? Uh, that's on the table, in my opinion, but he has to show it in training camp, you know, when the pads go on and when things start to get more physical. So uh, that's kind of a name to watch. Last thing uh, on, on minicamp BLG is that, uh, you know, Miles Sanders has not performed, has not gotten on the field at all here this spring. He wasn't in any of the uh, OTAs. He was not able to participate in minicamp. Uh, he's obviously got a bad hamstring that the team keeps saying is minor, but this is, you know, this makes me a little nervous because we heard them say things like this about players last year dealing with hamstrings and, you know, they, they just never 
seemed to get a whole lot better, and they just kept missing time. So, you know, when I when the Eagles say that uh, an injury is minor, I, I'm not 100% believing it at the moment. And with Miles Sanders, you know, these OTAs, these mini camps are supposed to be really helpful for rookies. He is one of the guys that people are pointing to as being a rookie that can make a big impact. We have been thinking after the draft that he would be a big time part of this offense uh, this coming season. Any concerns from you about the fact that he has not gotten on the field at all? How, how far behind is he going to be when training camp starts? Yeah, I, I don't think it's ideal by any means. You know, by not being out there, he can't get hurt more seriously, which is good. Uh, and it's not everything because you look at Josh Adams last year and he missed all of OTA's spring practices. And I think he might have even been a little bit delayed heading into training camp. And ultimately, you know, he led the team in rushing. So it's not like he can't have success as a rookie if he misses spring practices. I don't think it's that serious, but it's just, it's not great. I mean, Miles Sanders, he's young. He's what, 21? He has some issues in terms of um, pass protection, fumbling the ball. And, you know, ideally he would kind of, and obviously in addition to that, just learning the offense and getting more comfortable and integrated. You know, this thought that he's going to be some huge part of the offense this year or even like a huge part of the running game. Like we've kind of talked about, John, how some people have kind of pegged him in for that role and kind of acting like Jordan Howard is chopped liver. Like yeah. it's really hard to see that for me. Um, I mean, if, if he, you know, if he proves himself over the course of the season and he's like lighting it up and killing it each week, then yeah, obviously that's going to happen. But like, I don't think you just see that out of the gate right away, especially with him missing these spring practices and potentially being behind uh, the eight ball a little bit He's getting the quote-unquote mental reps, as Doug Peterson and Deuce Staley have said. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's valuable that he's there as compared to, you know, sometimes the Eagles draft these Pac-12 players and they're not even allowed to attend. They're not allowed to be at OTAs or anything, really, because um, of the dumb graduation rule they have. So, like, yeah. he's, at least he's in the building and he's, like, being around the team and he's, you know, seeing the film and he's seeing the practice. Like, there's some value in that. And I'm not panicking about it by any means. If I had to put my concern level about this, though, it's, it's probably like a, a two or three out of ten. You know, so it's more than a zero okay. or a one. Uh, yeah. I, I think it would be you know better if he was getting the reps. But um, you know, hopefully he is good to go for training camp. Just and part of it is just disappointing because like he would have been a really fun player to watch during spring practices. Arguably yeah. one of the most fun players to watch because he could be this potential weapon and we don't really know a lot about him. You know, whereas Deshaun, like we already know what he is, so it's not as exciting to see him out there uh, in that regard. To have that new face with that potential, like it would be nice to see him. So hopefully we see that in training camp. Well, up next, we're going to talk about the Eagles' new motto for 2019. And also, I mentioned just a second ago, not really trusting uh, when the Eagles say something about an injury, where the Eagles made some big changes to their medical staff that we'll talk about to wrap up uh, episode 59 of BGN Radio. That's up next, right here on BGN Radio. And we're back on BGN Radio. So BLG, I thought it was kind of fun, uh, Doug Peterson talking at his news conference on Thursday that the team has a new motto uh, for this year, and I really like it. I think this is a cool motto. Wanted to get your thoughts on it. Everything matters. That's the mantra for the Eagles here in 2019. Peterson wants players to basically in everything they do, whether it's away from the field here until they get back uh, in July on July 25th for the next set of uh, spring practice, actually summer practices by that point, that everything they do, whether it's jumping off sides in practice, you know, whether it's, you know, working hard at the, whatever it is, everything matters to approach everything like it's game time. What do you make of the motto? I think that's really cool. 
Yeah, so I actually saw two. Um, Chris McPherson, who does a great job for PhiladelphiaEagles.com, he posted a picture of this sign that they actually have somewhere in the NovaCare facility. The top of it is Everything Matters, and then there's like four main points under that. The first one is Eliminate Distractions, and then it says Create Energy at number two. Number three is Fear Nothing, and number four is Pursue Excellence. So, I mean, I guess those are good talking points. Um I don't know yeah. how much they matter. Embrace the target didn't really seem to matter a lot for this team, especially <laughs> when you have Doug Peterson after the Panthers game saying like the pressure is off, uh, which made no yeah, sense at true. all. Um, <laughs> so I don't know how much it matters ultimately. I guess the interesting part a little bit about that is that it seems to kind of be a correction from last year because that's kind of what Embrace the Target was. Like that was kind of like, okay, it puts it in the scope of like, Last year's season, like it acknowledges last year's season. So it's like, all right, you know, we're the champs. Now we need to embrace that target moving into this year. Well, now it's like, hey, everything matters. So maybe we let some stuff slip last year is kind of the way I'm kind of taking that and educated hmm. opinion, by the way. Um, so, so maybe we let, no, let yeah. some things slip last year and we need to kind of fix that to get back to the Super Bowl. Like we can't let things slip like that again. Everything matters. So. I'm guessing that is where it comes from. You would hope to see some of those things that did slip last year get cleaned up this year. Yeah, no, I think that's probably a good... I, I didn't think about that kind of a, a reading between the lines there, but that makes a lot of sense to me. In life, if you approach things with that mentality of like, you know, it's one of the things I teach my kids, you know, it's this is going to sound pretty ridiculous, but like <laughs> with, with, table, with table manners, you know, if you are acting, you know, if you're acting gross at the table at home, where it doesn't really matter, where it's just me and your mother, you're going to act that way when you're out at a restaurant with with, uh, with 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 friends of the family or when we're out celebrating a birthday dinner or something like that. My kids have a tendency to jump on our furniture. They, they think that our furniture is a jungle gym. <laughs> Drives me absolutely crazy, BLG. And we don't have, you know, beautiful furniture that costs like $2,000 couches and stuff like that. But, you know, I still don't want my kids jumping around on the furniture, not only for my sake, mm. but they do it when they go to somebody else's house. They think yeah. that somebody else's house is. And that's one of the things I don't we don't use the motto. Everything matters. Well, maybe you know, we you should. maybe I should right? get some T-shirts made. But, you know, if you do it here, you're going to do it someplace else. If you belch out loud at the dinner table here, you're going to belch out loud at the dinner table at the restaurant. And that's the that's what I thought of when Doug Peterson was talking about this today. If you jump off sides in practice here, if you develop bad habits on the practice field now, you're going to have bad habits on the playing field. And that to me I think is a good message. So, um I'm I'm digging I'm digging the everything matters t-shirts when they come out hopefully this summer. I I think that I think that would be I think that's a pretty good slogan. One last thing before we wrap up here, BLG, we have talked about this on the podcast as well. Uh, the Eagles medical staff and all the changes that they went through after winning the Super Bowl at the beginning of 2018, uh, they basically revamped their entire uh, medical staff. And now they're making another couple of big changes uh, to the medical staff. They've parted ways with the head team physician and head internist. Stephen A. Stash, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, after only one season. Uh, as part of the restructuring, uh, the team has named Arsh Danota, again, I apologize, Dr. Danota, if I'm saying your name wrong, as their new chief medical officer. He comes to the Eagles after serving as the medical director of non-operative sports medicine at Penn. 
And this, you know, goes back to last year when I mentioned it just a minute ago. A lot of Eagles players seem to miss a lot of time with with injuries that at the moment did not seem as if they were going to be a big deal. Uh, Carson Wentz's back injuries remains a mystery and will always remain a mystery of when it happened, how it was managed, when they decided to remove him from the field. Does this seem to you like the Eagles are admitting that there were some issues with the medical staff and they're they're, they're trying to to make some corrections because they lost a ton of time to I to to the uh, to injured reserve and and just flat out games missed last year. Yeah, I mean they ranked second worst in terms of adjusted games loss, uh, as Michael Kist has pointed out on BleedingYourNation.com. So I would hope, I would think too that that has something to do with it. <laughs> I really would hope. Uh, you know that's yeah. that's the motivation because man. Like things are not normal when it comes to the injuries in the Eagles lately. Matt Collins missing like what, like fifteen months? He's still not fully participating right. after having that groin surgery last offseason. Like now he was back in practice and he's doing individual stuff, so that's great to see. And Doug Peterson said he's optimistic Matt Collins will be back for training camp. So some positive progress on that front recently. But going back to the point of like the doctor stuff, I mean like Jalen Mills, when he first got hurt, he wasn't put on IR. Uh, there was, I think Doug Peterson called him like day to day at one point. When Doug Peterson says day to day, that means like he could be back, you know, relatively soon. It doesn't right. mean like out months. He usually uses week to week when it's, you know, like a significant amount of time and is probably out for the season. So they kept Jalen Mills on the active roster for like a couple weeks and then they put him on an IR and then he was wearing a boot all of a sudden after not wearing it before. And it's like, what is going on here? And now, again, we still don't even know when he's going to be ready. And you have to wonder, bringing back Ronald Darby, which was kind of unexpected in some ways, was that made you know more of a priority? Because they know Dylan Mills isn't going to be ready for a while. Like, yeah. you know, there's a lot of just weird stuff that has happened with the injuries. And then, obviously, you had guys like Emmanuel Acho and Jordan Matthews openly criticized the medical staff in the past. So it's weird, man. And I, and I hope the changes they make fix it. Something that, you know, Spike Eskin and Mike Levin have been talking about on the Right Sturkey Sanchez podcast in terms of like the, the Sixers recently had a, a doctor shakeup too. And by the way, like some of the former Sixers doctors were in the Eagles front office. So don't love that. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, but one thing they were talking about on their podcast is about how there was kind of two different guys who had two different mindsets, uh, especially like when it came with Embiid. And one of the mindsets ultimately helped Embiid recover from the injuries that he had. And part of that was being patient with him and, you know, being willing to take the time. And the other guy was kind of a little bit more aggressive with that. And now there's probably merit to both strategies in different circumstances. I don't think it's like always wrong to be aggressive. That's not what I'm trying to say here. But right. it can be wrong. <laughs> like, it can be wrong to be a little maybe too aggressive. And so maybe I don't know exactly how this applies to the Eagles. But point being, like, maybe the procedures weren't right. You know, maybe because there's different kinds of doctors is my point. Like maybe, like maybe yeah, the ones yeah. they had are kind of like have this aggressive philosophy or some kind of philosophy that ultimately isn't really leading to the best recovery for the players. I don't know exactly what it is. You know, I'm not there. It's hard for me to say, you know, our, obviously our medical experience is limited. But whatever it is, it, it's not normal. Like, we can say that. We know we know enough to say that, like, this doesn't seem like the, the process and everything is normal and functional and good. So hopefully, you know, the changes should help in that regard. I really hope. Yeah, well, not much we can not much we can do about it from the outside or not much we can we can know or say about it from the outside. You just hope that the injuries are fewer and farther between and the players bounce back faster. But it is interesting 
um, making another move like this just a year after uh, basically getting a new head guy in there after winning the Super Bowl. The the changes were interesting in the first place after after winning the Super Bowl, making all those changes. So um, we'll see how that all shakes out here as we move through the season. So BLG after a week of uh, after a week of mini camp, uh, we've we've officially, as you mentioned earlier, entered the dead period. Any final thoughts for the podcast as Things uh, kind of ramp down for the Eagles here over the next few weeks. Well, again, let's just hope there's no real Eagles news that is bad in any way, which is probably the only news we could hear from now until training camp begins. Yeah. Stay out of trouble, knock on wood. Uh, hopefully we hear that Malcolm Jenkins deal come about soon. That would be nice. And that's really about it, man. And then training camp, you know, again, begins in late July. We will obviously have a lot more content on BleedingGreenNation.com and the BGN Radio here. Uh, so the content does not stop just because the Eagles are going on break. We'll still have stuff now with that said, I will be traveling. So, you know, I'm still going to be doing some stuff. I'm not going to disappear completely, you know, but I will be taking a step back for a little bit, try to catch my breath here, get ready for the grind that is training camp and then the whole season ahead. Um, but yeah, so we'll still have lots of more content online at, again, at bleedinggreennation.com here on the podcast, BGN radio. So make sure you continue to subscribe, leave reviews, rate, all that good stuff. Follow BGN underscore radio on Twitter to stay tuned with everything. Uh, it should be fun when the Eagles actually start back up. Uh, and in the meantime, we will help get you through the dead zone. This is, I think, honestly, this is, in some ways, this is my favorite time of year because I feel like we are, like, the best at covering <laughs> dead zone stuff like we yeah because you know some of these other writers and other sites and rightfully so i'm not blaming them but they kind of go dark like this they take their vacations and they don't do anything bgn is here for you every single day of the year there's always stuff going on so we will help you yep. get through this dead zone so stay tuned here yeah you don't stop being a fan when the eagles go into a dead zone so we won't stop uh, writing and podcasting for you so make sure that you uh, continue to uh, stay up with, keep up with us here at BGM Radio on BleedingGreenNation.com. And folks, that'll do it for episode number 59 of BGN Radio. Again, uh, follow Brandon on Twitter if you don't. Of course you do already, but, you know, tell some friends to follow Brandon on Twitter at Brandon Gowton. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you all next time right here on BGN Radio. Been a little too nice to y'all. Now I got a up price for y'all. Snake eyes on dice for y'all. Shoulders on ice for y'all. Frozen. A6 all the hate. I won't get involved today. Got lost in the ball and age. I'm flipping the ball. B G N.